Hello and welcome to the Sam Fiction and Fantasy Fun Podcast. This is episode one of The Witcher chapter-by-chapter book review, where we're going to go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter, and I'm going to give my detailed thoughts on it. So because this is episode one, I'll give a little bit of background before we dive into the chapter. This podcast series can be good for anyone who has read the books and wants a refresher, would like to read along and listen to a discussion of what they previously read, or anyone interested in reading the books but perhaps doesn't have the time, doesn't really read books, etc., um, or anything in between. So it's a chapter-by-chapter podcast, as I've said. Each episode will go over a chapter in order, and we'll start with The Last Wish. And if you're not already familiar, there are eight books in total in the Witcher book series. So the first one is The Last Wish, and that's followed by Sword of Destiny. And both of those books are a collection of short stories following the main character, Geralt. And then the remaining, well, there's five books that are part of the main series, and they kind of go in order like a regular series of novels would, so it's they're not short stories anymore. It's, you know, like a regular um, segment of chapters. So what we're going to do, because the first book is... The, one of the books of short stories, we're gonna do short story by short story. So each episode we'll be reviewing a short story. Um, And then once we get through The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, then we'll move on to the main series, which starts with Blood of Elves. So it's gonna be a little bit of time before we get there, but we will get there. Um, Also, I apologize. I have never recorded a podcast before. so. If you're listening to this and there is something off with the quality, I will definitely be working on correcting that in future episodes. Um, Also, there might just be some errors in quality with just the way that I'm performing in this podcast, um, which is something else that I will work on because, uh, I mean, nobody's good at anything when they first start, right? Okay, I'm... getting a little too off topic here. So yeah, like I said at the very opening, um, I'm gonna give a summary of what happened and then give my detailed thoughts on it. So uh, let's get into the summary. The first story of The Last Wish begins with our hero, Geralt of Rivia, entering a town called Wisem. And there's a little footnote that I will get to on the name of that town. Geralt is a man with white hair, carries a sword on his back, which is an unusual custom, at least in Wisem, and his profession is a witcher, or a monster hunter. He enters a tavern known as the Fox. It's a little ways down the road from another tavern that seems to be more desirable by the locals. After ordering beer and getting denied a room by the innkeeper, he's aggressively approached by three tavern patrons who order him to leave. At first, he receives their disrespect with indifference until one of them decides to get physical with Geralt, to which he quickly responds with his sword, cutting the three men down. 
The violence, of course, incites a lot of commotion and noise and is soon addressed by local guards who burst into the tavern, ordering Geralt to drop his weapon. It's here where we learn that Geralt isn't an ordinary man with incredibly fast reflexes and physical prowess. He also has some magical abilities. He quote-unquote throws a sign, as written in the book, telling the guards they will take him to the Castellan, and without any argument, they immediately agree. Geralt and the Castellan, a man named Velarad, meet and discuss a proclamation Geralt came across that was issued by King Foltest of Temeria, and Temeria is the name of the country that this town is located in, offering a reward of 3,000 orins to whomever can remove a spell from his 14-year-old daughter. The spell in question was placed on the girl while her mother, Foltest's sister, Ada, yes, you heard that right, was pregnant with her. The mother and daughter died during the birth, but the daughter came back to life, or I guess awoken, seven years after her birth in the form of a striga. A striga is a monster that comes out from sleeping at midnight and on full moons, and this striga in particular leaves the old castle where she lives and murders and feeds on innocent villagers in Wizen. Geralt and Velarad talk about how there have been people with magic abilities who have attempted to get rid of the monster terrorizing the town for the past seven years, but all failed. One of these sorcerers advised the king that for one to lift the curse, they simply need to sleep in the Striga sarcophagus for the night, and she will turn into a princess. Ever since, Foltest will not allow anyone to try to kill the Striga. He just wants someone who can reverse the spell. Because dealing with monsters is a witcher's job, Geralt decides to go to the palace, meet with King Foltest, and agree to the proclamation. But there are some stipulations. He cannot mention the false rumors that, in addition to the 3,000 orans, the person who succeeds will also be granted the princess's hand in marriage. And he cannot demand the money up front. Geralt is escorted to the palace and meets with King Foltest along with two other men by the names of Seglin and Ostrid. The conversation with Foltest is brief. He asks Geralt about his experience, to which Geralt explains the Witcher's Code forbids them from speaking of their work. He also warns that if his daughter is harmed, Geralt will be executed. Foltest leaves the room and has Seglin and Ostrid answer any questions Geralt may have about the monster. He learns about the Striga's appearance, some of the more notable details being that she has dagger-like teeth and claws, and that there have been a few survivors of the Striga's attacks. One of the survivors, a local miller, is brought to the palace for Geralt to interview and learn more vital details about the monster before setting out on his task. After the next full moon, Geralt goes to the old abandoned palace where the Striga dwells to begin his mission. It's still before midnight, so he has time to prepare before the Striga wakes for the night. Part of his preparations include taking elixirs that turn his skin pale and cause his pupils to fill the entire iris, but they also sharpen his senses, allow him to see more clearly in the dark, and speed up his movements. Before it gets completely dark, the man Ostrit from the palace, who recently helped answer Geralt's questions, approaches him. He tosses him a bag filled with 1,000 orns and tells him he need not remove the spell or defend himself against the Striga. 
He just wants him to take the money and leave. Geralt is quickly able to guess that Ostrid wants Voltus overthrown, and it'll be easier for this to happen if he continues to let the Striga murder civilians. After a couple of threats and a useless attempt to take Geralt down with the sword, Ostrid gets knocked out by the Witcher with just the heel of his hand. He awakes to find himself in the old palace tied up. Geralt is using him to distract the Striga. He begs to be set free before she awakes. He claims that he truthfully Sorry, he claims that he truthfully wanted Foltes dead because of his affair with his sister, as Ostrit loved Ada as well. Geralt agrees to let Ostrit go, but not until after he hears the sound of the sarcophagus lid slide open. It takes very little time for the Striga, get, for the Striga to catch up to Ostrit and kill him. Once she's had her fill, the fight between Geralt and the Striga ensues. Because he doesn't want to kill the monster, he doesn't want to use a sword. He manages to wrap a silver chain around her, which she breaks free of, um, despite the fact that silver is supposed to be um, not necessarily lethal, but it's supposed to be effective against monsters of magic. But he's able to use his sorcery to project her own hate and anger back at her which scares her off, and then he's able to settle in for the night in the sarcophagus and wait for morning. When he wakes up, he sees not a striga, but a 14-year-old unconscious girl on the floor. He checks her teeth to see she has normal human teeth, but before he realizes, her eyes open and she uses the last part of her monster body, her claws, to slash Geralt's neck open. He hears the third crow of the rooster, and knows that the spell has been fully lifted. She tries to continue attacking him with her human teeth and human fingernails, but he restrains her by biting her neck. I think he does that in kind of a desperate attempt to get her to stop, but I'm not 100% sure. She stops and Geralt faints. He wakes up two days later in the new palace, his neck bandaged and Velorad beside his bed. He assures Geralt that his possessions are here and safe along with the 3,000 orins. He confirms the princess is alive, although she's always crying and wetting the bed, but they're optimistic that with a lot of care she'll get better over time. Valorad asks Geralt why he tried to bite her to death, but before Geralt can answer, he falls asleep. And that is the summary of the first story of The Last Wish which I don't think I mentioned at first. It's actually called The Witcher. So um, witchers, aside from being monster hunters, they um, are known and, well, they're recognized by some other traits, some other characteristics. Um, one of them is this witcher's emblem. It's pointed out by Valorad, and it's something that Geralt has around his neck. It's a round medallion with the head of a wolf bearing its fangs. Uh, it's on a silver chain. So we can surmise that that's something that all witchers have. And um, witchers also have a code that prevents them from speaking in detail about their work. And that's something that Geralt mentions when Foltes asks him about his past work experience. So I thought that was kind of a strange one. And I can't really think of a legitimate reason or, um, or just like a, 
or, or where that could have come from, like where that code would have originated from. Especially in a situation like this, you know, there's a king who is basically about to hire you and give you a very large sum of money to complete a job. So it's kind of like a job interview. <laughs> and one of the most important things in job interviews, and I know this is just our modern world that I'm basing this off of, but it makes sense that even in a fantasy world, this would be the case, um, that you want to know about their past work experience. You want to know that they're capable of performing this job, which, I mean, I guess if um, Geralt can't get this done, he he's just going to die, and it's not really that much of a problem for full test. Um, but I guess also another consequence of him being unqualified for the job is that he could accidentally kill the Striga <laughs> instead of lifting the curse, which is, you know, what Foltest really wants. But Geralt must be an exceptional witcher. Um, we find out that another witcher passed on the task after seeing the Striga. Um, there was another witcher that got killed in the attempt. And um, even Velrad warned him that, warned Geralt that it wasn't going to be possible. He he kind of flat out tells him that um, he says something like, it's obvious that you're not going to do it. Um, I mean, that's mostly because he doesn't believe that it's even possible that the spell can be lifted. Um, there was a sorcerer, I believe. Um, they referred to them as knowing ones who told King Foltest at some point um, within the past seven years since the streak has been active that he told he basically told Foltest how the spell can be reversed. And, you know, we find out in the story that he was right. You know, you just need to keep her out of her little coffin um, for the whole night. She just, she can't get back in there. And that's how it works. You know, Geralt gets in the coffin. She can't get in. Um, but a lot of people doubted that that was even true. They thought that that was just kind of like um, a crazy person. Um, making up something to the king. But anyway, it's interesting that Geralt was able to accomplish this after so many have tried and failed. Because, or it's interesting because he's obviously really good at his job. Otherwise, he would have either failed or he wouldn't even have agreed to it in the beginning. Um, and it's also not really made clear how broad the range of magic that um, witchers are capable of, like like how broad that range reaches. Uh, we know that there is a sign that they can use to bend people to their will. We also don't know if this is all witchers or maybe there's just some witchers that can do certain things. Um, you know, maybe some of them have abilities that others don't whether it's you know something that they kind of just naturally have or something that they have to learn but um you know Geralt orders the guards when he's in the tavern the fox at the beginning he orders the guards to take him to the castellan where um or like when they're trying to arrest him and they just immediately they're like okay let's go like yeah, after you, uh, which is pretty interesting because um, we don't really know 
how much he can do with that. And a power like that in the wrong hands is pretty terrifying. Um, somebody being able to just um, use some magic and say like, hey, do this. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, Geralt doesn't seem like a bad guy. I don't think he would abuse that power. He was obviously um, doing this to try and um, get more information on the contract and be able to um, take on the contract. So it was all part of a plan. But yeah, I, I, it would be interesting to know exactly how that works or not how it works, but you know, just how how powerful that is exactly. You know, is it um, something that he, he can he make them do just about anything in the world? Like if he told them to hop on one foot for the rest of their life like would they do it um like does it last a long time i don't know we don't get too much insight into that but maybe in the future or in a future story or in a future chapter we will um we know about the ard sign so this sign has a name it's called ard he uses it during the striga fight and it seems to work like an invisible force so he kind of just throws his hand up and um it throws her back a little bit. Um, like the magic in this sign throws her back. Um, but I guess because she's very, very strong, she's able to kind of push through it very slowly, but she is making her way closer and closer to Geralt. Um, he's able to like, dive, like release the sign. And that's something else we learn about his magic is that it takes a lot of energy because um, it's described when he's using this sign that he can't hold it for that long and she's you know gaining more and more um space closer to him so you know he he releases it and he dives out of the way and she dives into the spot where he was just standing um so yeah that was another um piece of magic that we know he's capable of and then um we also know he was able to mimic the Striga's anger and her hatred enough to scare her away. And I think that that's probably a big deal. I don't know exactly how much energy that uses. I can imagine that if the Ard sign uses a lot, then something like that, that would be so powerful to send this Striga that doesn't seem to have ever feared anything in her entire life besides maybe the sun, <laughs> the daytime. Um, if it was that powerful that it could actually get her to run away from him scared, then it probably does use a lot of energy. But yeah, I, I am curious to learn more about the signs um, and learn more, um, like if there are any other signs that he's able to use, um, like that are different from the ones that we already heard about. Also, um, I wonder if some of these might be flukes. I don't think that the first one that we learned about where he can... Um, control people and tell them what to do. I don't think that that one was a fluke because it seemed to be a plan from the beginning. And then the Ard sign, that couldn't have been a fluke considering there was a name for it. Um, but maybe the one where he was able to mimic her emotions and throw them back at her. Um, it's possible that that was a fluke. Um, it also could have been part of his plan though. Um, yeah, they, We're not told too much about that. Not yet at least. So... It is um, something that I am very curious to learn more about. And I also am curious um, about how often he uses this magic. Like, is this something that he uses, you know, to add convenience to everyday life? Like the 
the magic where you can tell people what to do. I'd hope not. I'd hope he'd only use that when he's doing his job and, and he's not using it um, in duplicitous ways. Um, and also, we know that there are sorcerers in this world. There are other people that are capable of performing magic. And um, I'm interested to find out how far that goes. Are they more or less powerful than him? You know, are there things that they can do that he can't, things that he can do that they can't? Um, so I look forward to learning more about that. So one of the things that is brought up during the story is um, there are men in this town um, who are in high positions and they have started to get fed up with the Striga killing so many people and they believe the possibility of lifting the spell is nonsense um, and I already mentioned that with um, Velarad the Castellan um, they don't think that it can actually be done and they're getting really sick of all these people getting killed um, so they offered uh, Witcher money, and we, we do know that it was less than the um, 3,000 orns that Foltest was offering, but they did collect a lot of money amongst themselves, and they were offering it to Witchers to kill the Striga, and then claim to Foltest that it was just in self-defense, that you know he, he was trying to actually reverse the spell, but she was about to kill him, and he had to kill her to save himself. And I don't know exactly how many times this happened, but um, there was one witcher that they um, tried to get to do exactly this. And he saw her and he ran. He saw the Striga and he booked it. He packed up his stuff and left. Um, which was another reason why I believed Geralt to be an exceptional witcher because, you know, somebody else in his profession was offered this job and they turned it down just at the sight of the monster. Um, but yeah, so this was, um, that was the same guy that they offered money to, to kill her. And that didn't work out. So, um, there were other witchers as well. There was one witcher that was killed in the process. Um, but there's also rumors that have begun to circulate at some point. We don't know when, but at some point um, they started rumors that in addition to the 3,000 orins, full test would offer um, whoever can lift the spell, the princess as a bride. So you would get the 3,000 orins and then you could marry the princess. But it's immediately, you know that that's not true. Velarad and Foltest both confirm with Geralt that this isn't true. Geralt didn't seem interested in it, in it anyway. And then um, Velarad also warns Geralt not to ask Foltest for the money up front. So um, there have been many fraudsters who've claimed they can help. And, um, you know, that's ranged from a lot of different people. Um, but there was one who came by not too long ago and offered to help and he wanted the money up front so they put him in a sack and they threw him in the lake so this was you know it was told don't don't do this like Velrad tells Geraldine you don't want to be asking for the money up front because that that didn't work out so well for the last guy and Foltest he's he's a really interesting character in person, he comes across much differently than what you would expect 
based on what we've heard about him up until this point, up until the point where you meet him. Um, so we were aware before meeting him that he had some incest going on in the past. Um, so uh, I, I don't need to explain why that's not good. And then, um, you know, that he has threatened to kill anybody who's killed the Striga. He just, he seems like he's not going to be somebody that you'd want to go get a beer with. He, um, but when you meet him, he makes jokes. And he had faith that the curse could be lifted when others found that hopeless, which is kind of nice. Um, Seiglin warns Geralt during their conversation um, not to refer to the Striga as anything other than the princess in front of Foltest. And, um, or he basically just says, like, even, you know, while they're talking and Foltest isn't in the room, call her the princess because um, it's, it'll make it so that it's easier to avoid accidentally calling her the Striga in front of Foltest. But Geralt does exactly that. He calls her the princess next time he's talking to Foltest, and then he corrects him himself. He's like, nope, she's a Striga. We can call her the princess once the curse has been lifted. Um, so he also gives Geralt permission to kill her in self-defense if necessary. And upon their first meeting, he tells Geralt, like, if a hair falls from her head, your head's going to roll. And um, during their second meeting, he says, if you need to kill her, you can do so. And that's not... Just because, um, I mean, he, he, he definitely trusts Geralt. He, he says something along those lines of like, um, like, you know, there's something about you that instills trust. Um, but he also says to Geralt something like, um, like, do you know why I'm permitting you to kill her if you need to? And he says, I think it's because she's suffering. And that's actually pretty sad. I mean, I know she's a, a murderous um, monster that eats the people she kills. But, I mean, she kind of can't help it. It's just in her nature. She was born that way. She was cursed. It's not her fault. So, I mean, as messed up as that is, it's still it, you still feel bad when you think about the fact that she's suffering. And, um, you know, Geralt doesn't verbally confirm it, but he kind of just gives Foltest a look and Foltest knows you know, like, okay, yeah, she is suffering. So he's gotten to the point where he's like, I, one way or the other, I want this curse over with. Like, I, 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 if, if, if it can't be reversed, if he fails to do that, then I think the next best thing would be for her to die. Because that's better than her continuing to live in pain and suffering. And I mean, it's also not good for all the people that get killed every full moon when she leaves the castle so yeah full test in person doesn't really seem like that bad of a guy um based on the things that we've heard about him and i thought that that was interesting i always like a character that turns out to be different in person like when you actually get the chance to meet them or when the characters that you're following meet this person that you've only ever heard about before. I love it when they turn out to be a lot different, especially in a good way. You know, we've heard a lot of things that made Foltest out to be uh, not so great of a guy, or maybe he seemed like a pretty stern king, but yeah, you know, he's making jokes and he's, um, he's very understandable and he actually cares about um, his daughter 
that he's never even seen before. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, say, say what you will about full test. Um, I'm not saying that he's an amazing person. He's just an interesting character. (laughs) Um, and he also offers Geralt 3000 Orins and I don't know much about how the currency works in this world, in the Witcher world, but we quickly do learn that that's a lot of money. Um, Ostrich tells Geralt when he um, goes to the old palace when Geralt's about to attempt to reverse the spell on the Striga, um, and he goes there and offers him money. He gives he give, he throws a bag of one thousand orins at his feet, and he you know is telling him like you can just go like don't try to reverse the spell, don't try to kill her, do nothing, just take this money and go because he wants. Um, he wants the Striga to keep murdering people so that full test will be overthrown. And then, I mean, I'm going a little bit too far into this um, from the point that I was originally making, so I apologize for that. But um, I don't know exactly what his plan was to get full test killed um, because Geralt comes to the conclusion that he wanted full test overthrown. And that's why he wanted the Striga to keep killing people because it would be easier for that to happen. Or it would be easier for the people to turn on Foltest if he doesn't actually accomplish the task of removing this issue, the Striga that's killing people. So I don't know what Ostrit thought was going to happen to get him killed, but I guess it doesn't matter because it doesn't come to that anyway and Ostrit ends up getting killed. Um, but anyway, he tells... Geralt um, that he's rich with this money, the money that he gave him, which is a thousand. So one thousand compared to three thousand, you know, you're rich off of a thousand. Geralt was successful. He got this money. It's confirmed at the end to, um, you know, he didn't get ripped off or anything. Uh, when he wakes in the bed after he's been asleep for two days after fighting the Striga and Velrad's there. Velrad, Velrad tells him like, oh yeah, we recovered your sword. It's here along with the 3000. Um, so I wonder what Geralt is gonna do with that money. Um, I will, I would confidently bet that he's not gonna retire because being a witcher is his profession. A witcher is a job. And all of the books in this series are about the Witcher. <laughs> so it would be um, pretty absurd if he retired from this profession after the very first story in the very first book. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what he's going to do with all this money, but um, I am interested to see if that is explored in the upcoming short stories or at any point during the main series of books. Um, so yeah, we're gonna have to wait and find out about that. And um, I did say during the summary that I um, have a footnote for Wizim, the name of the town. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. And this is actually probably a good opportunity to quickly say that <laughs> while going through this series, this podcast series, I am going to pronounce a lot of names and places wrong. And I can try my best and I can maybe look up whatever I can look up to pronounce them correctly. But when I read the series through the first time, a lot of the names and the places were 
complicated for, for me at least. And I was um, not really sure on how you were supposed to say them. Um, so when I read them in my head, I was probably reading them in my head incorrectly, but I was just doing the best that I could. Um, so please uh, forgive me. I'm asking ahead of time for forgiveness <laughs> for the incorrect pronunciation because um, I know it's going to happen if it hasn't already happened um, in this first episode alone. But Wisem is the name of this town in Tamaria. Um, it is going to change names throughout the story from Wisem to Wisema to Vizima. And I believe Vizima is the one that is going to be most commonly um, referred to the name of this city, town. Um, I think it's also the capital of the country of Tamaria. I mean, I guess it would have to be considering that's where the king lives. I think that's how that works. That um, Whatever town or city the king lives in is probably the capital of the country. Um, don't at me because I don't know that for sure. But it, that sounds right. <laughs> um, but anyway, the um, first book, The Last Wish... And then also the first book of the main series, the chapter by chapter books, um, it's called Blood of Elves. They were both translated by somebody who goes by the name of Danusia or Danusia Stock. Again, with the pronunciation, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, also, it, it doesn't matter you know, if, if you know that I'm saying it wrong, you don't need to let me know because I'm probably never going to say that name again in this podcast. Um, but that was the person who translated these books from their original Polish text, um, or author Sapkowski is um, Polish. So they were not originally written in English, so they were translated to English, um, and I guess the translator could take some liberties in how to translate the names of people and places. Um, and that is how this person decided to translate the original Polish pronunciation of the city that is the main setting in this first story. And the rest of the books were translated by a person by the name of David French. And David French refers to the town as Vizima. And because, and I don't think the name of this town comes up a whole lot, but because French translated the majority of the books in the series, when it does come up, you're mostly going to hear Vizima. So if there are future episodes where I mention Vizima, I am talking about the same place where we were in this first story. Um, just wanted to give you some context on that. Uh, it's probably not really even that important because like I said, I don't think it comes up that much, but it's a fun fact. So there you go. Um, in conclusion, Geralt is certainly an interesting character. There's still a lot we don't know about him. And this story certainly raised a lot of questions that we'll hopefully get some answers to in the upcoming short stories or during some part of the main series. Uh, we don't need all of our questions answered immediately. You know, we don't need to have a character fully developed right at the beginning. It's always fun to uncover more 
facts and information and knowledge on a character and the depth of them and who they are over time. Um, but yeah, we know that he's pretty stoic. He is pretty quiet, doesn't seem to talk a lot, doesn't seem to show a lot of emotion. He uh, He's a professional witcher. He, um, well, I would say kills monsters for a living, but he doesn't always kill them. He is able to reverse spells. He's got magical capabilities. He is an interesting guy. And so far, this short, um, or I mean this like soon into the story, um, I think he's already pretty likable. Um, of course, I, I, I know what he is like because as I've mentioned, I've read the series before. <laughs> this isn't my first read through. And that is another thing I do want to quickly throw in before um, I end this episode is although I have read the series already, um, I am going to do my best in each episode to not spoil anything in the future. So you don't have to worry about that if you haven't already read the books um, or if you have the read, if you maybe you did read them and it's been a while and you don't remember and you don't want anything spoiled, I am not going to be spoiling anything, not intentionally at least. I, I don't think I will. I, I think it be pretty obvious if I was doing that. We'll see. We'll, we'll get to that when we come to it. Um, yeah, I don't think there is anything else left I have to say. Um, like I said, this is the first episode so any issues in quality, whether it's how I'm coming across or the audio or whatever, uh, I will work on it. I don't know. Maybe it's not even that bad. I'll find out um, when I take a listen. Um, but yeah, if you have actually listened this far, I really appreciate it. So um, look forward to the next episode where we're going to be going through the second short story in The Last Wish. It's called A Grain of Truth. It's actually, it's a really good one. So I'm, I'm excited for that one for sure. So yeah, thank you so much for listening and or watching and goodbye.